Would you be glorified today? Would you be exalted and lifted up? Would we see you as beautiful and lovely and perfect? The perfect God that you are. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. I'm going to invite you to take a copy of the scripture and turn to Matthew chapter 27. And uh, we're going to begin reading at verse 35 of Matthew 27. Uh, again, want to invite you to, uh, to participate this morning. If you, uh, if you have a question about uh, anything I'm saying in the message today, feel free to give me a text. And I'll try to answer it in, uh, in real time here. Uh, my text, uh, my cell phone number is uh, in the worship guide. Uh, many of you already have it. Uh, we've published it for years, 905-329-4713. Uh, maybe you want to take a picture. Let us know that you're, uh, that you're gathering. If you're going to post that on social media, use the hashtag Cornerstone Home Church. And uh, so let's uh, dig into God's word together now. Uh, Matthew 27, uh, beginning of verse 35. After crucifying him, that's Jesus, they, that's the soldiers, divided his clothes by casting lots. Then they sat down and were guarding him there. Above his head, they put up the charge against him in writing, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Then two criminals who were crucified with him one on the right and one on the left. Those who passed by were yelling insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you're the son of God, come down from the cross. In the same way, the chief priests with the scribes and elders mocked him and said, he saved others, but he cannot save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down from the cross and we'll believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he takes pleasure in him. For he said, I'm the son of God. In the same way, even the criminals who were crucified with him taunted him. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over the whole land. About Three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lema sabachthani, which is Aramaic. That is, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? When some of those standing there heard this, they said, he's calling for Elijah. Immediately, one of them ran and got a sponge, filled it with sour wine, put it on a stick and offered him a drink. But the rest said, let's see if Elijah comes to save him. But Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and gave up his spirit. Suddenly, the curtain of the sanctuary was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth quaked and the rocks were split. The tombs were also opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised, and they came out of the tombs after his resurrection, entered the holy city, and appeared to many. When the centurion and those with him who were keeping watch over Jesus saw the earthquake and the things that had happened, 
They were terrified and said, Truly, this man was the Son of God. This is God's Word. This season of Lent, we are pausing to reflect deeply on the words that Jesus spoke as he hung from the cross. As Jesus was being tortured and killed, he spoke out seven different sayings. Seven times he opened his mouth and he, and he spoke. And we've already considered several, three of those, and this is the fourth one here. This is the most disturbing of all of the statements. Is, is Jesus losing it here? He's screaming. It's in a loud voice. It's in a shout. It's a scream. Is he falling apart? Is he giving up hope? It's disturbing. It's the most perplexing. Martin Luther famously said, God forsaken by God. Who can understand it? Theologians, scholars have had lots of debate about what's actually going on and what these words actually mean. I'm not going to enter into the theological debate this morning. I don't think that's the need of the hour. What I do want to do is see what we, what do we know for sure about what's going on as Jesus cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you abandoned me as he's hanging on the cross? What do we know for sure so that we can worship him as the Savior and as the Lord in this moment, this moment that we find ourselves in right now? First thing I want to think about, reflect on, is his anguish. I want us to see the anguish of the moment for Jesus, the Son of God. See, Jesus had been physically tortured. He was suffering physically. He had been Beaten, he had been whipped, he had been flogged, he'd been, uh, had the, the whips on his back, his back has been opened up, he's had a crown of thorns placed on his forehead, he's been stripped naked, he's been, um, he's, he's had his hands and his feet pierced, nailed to a cross, and now he's hanging there, suffering incredible physical torture. But he doesn't cry out, my hands, my hands, my feet, my feet, my back, my back, my... He doesn't, he's, that's not what he's crying out. His anguish is not primarily, is not only physically. He's suffering psychologically. All of his friends deserted him. In his moment of need, they flee to save their own hide. Everyone around him, it seems, is mocking him taunting him, scorning at him, insulting him. <laughs> he could save others, but he can't save himself. Oh, God loves him. God's pleased with him. Let's see if God comes to rescue him. But he's not crying out, My friends, where have you gone? He's not crying out. He's not He's not. Responding to the taunts and insults. In fact, all of the Gospels make it clear. He, uh, he fulfills the words of Isaiah 53 like a lamb that's led to the slaughter is dumb, is quiet. So he opened not his mouth. 
that Jesus did not respond to the, to the scorning and the mocking, the insults and the taunts. But he's crying out. He's screaming, not over physical or psychological suffering, but over the spiritual suffering that he's experiencing in this moment. Jesus is experiencing intense spiritual suffering. He cries out, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Jesus in this moment is experiencing the depths of spiritual suffering. The New Testament tells us that the wages of sin is death. Not only physical death, but spiritual death. Separation and alienation from God. The removal of God's presence. The removal of God's presence. Separation from God. Alienation from Him. 1 Thessalonians 1.9 says that the final end for those who continue in their sin is to be banished forever from the presence of God. That the ultimate end of continuing on in our natural born condition of sin is to be expelled from God's presence forever. And Jesus as our substitute, as the one who came to live the life we should have lived... And to die the death we should have died. To bear the wages of our sin is experiencing the end of all those who will not receive him. To be expelled, to be banished from God's presence. He died for our sins in our place as a substitute for us. 1 Peter 2.24 says that he himself bore our sins in his own body on the cross. He, he's bearing the weight of our sin in his body on the cross. Galatians 3.13 says he redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Because it said everyone who was hung on a tree is cursed. Or 2 Corinthians 5.21, that God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us. He became sin for us. Not that he became sinful, he became sin for us in our place. And so, as darkness covers the earth for these three hours, it's the picture of Jesus' experience. That You see, that's what, that's what hell is often pictured like in this scripture. We talked about that in January. It's utter darkness, outer darkness, utter darkness. And he is experiencing that darkness spiritually. He's being cast out. He's bearing everything that our sin deserves. He's bearing the wages of sin, spiritual and physical death. This is the one time where it can truly be said there is hell on earth. We use that phrase, oh, that was hellish. This experience is hell on earth. I, I cringe every time I hear that a little bit, though I understand what we're saying. It's a horrible experience. The one time truly that there was hell on earth, complete Hell on earth is here. Jesus cries out, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? I'm in the dark. God is the source of light. He's the source of, source of all warmth and life. And now I'm in the dark. He feels abandoned by his father. 
This eternal relationship that he's had with his father of perfect love. You see, when we're abandoned by someone or we, we said, you know, someone says, I never want to see you again. It's, it's a hurtful thing, but it, it depends on the closeness of the relationship and the, the length of the relationship. If I'm in a hockey game, playing hockey, and uh, one of my opponents doesn't like the fact that I slashed him in the back of the leg like I was wont to do as a younger boy, and says, I don't want to see you again, that's... I don't care. I don't even know your name. It's not going to bother me. If a friend says, you know what, we're done, we're through, that hurts so much more. But if a spouse or a child says that, how much more hurtful, how much more devastating is that? Well, here we have the eternal relationship of the father in the sun. And that's what he's experiencing, abandonment. See, sin has infected each of us. We want to go our own way. We want the essence of sin is really this self-centeredness that wants to get away from out under God's rule over us as our, as our creator and maker and master and lord. And at the end, God is finally going to say, "Okay, you want to go your own way? You want to be out of my presence?" Go ahead. To be banished from the presence and the glory of the life and the love of God is to die. And so Jesus in these moments doesn't know, doesn't feel, doesn't experience the love that he has always known. Jesus, as he was on the earth, walks in in the presence of God in alignment with God perfectly. He He would say things to his disciples like, the Father and I are one. Everything that was in the Father's heart for me to do, I've done. Everything that's in the Father's heart for me to say, I say. I don't speak of my own. I just, I just speak what the, what I hear the Father saying. The, the Father and I are one. We're united. We're one in heart, mind, purpose, and even being. He's always in step with the Father. Why he calls out, my God, my, my God. And so we see, first of all, his anguish, the depth of his anguish, spiritual suffering for our sin, experiencing hell on earth. Secondly, we see him, we see his authority. We see his authority. And what I mean here isn't how Jesus has all authority now. I'm saying, what is the authority? What is the source of power in Jesus' life? We're going to work, this is going to take a little bit of work, but we're going to get there together. What's the source of his power? You see, he, he died giving up his spirit. He said things, and I love to quote this because it's so important. No one takes my life from me. I lay it down of my own choice. The passage I read says he gave up his spirit. He died willingly. He cries out, my God. He's holding on to intimacy with God. He's holding on. He's continuing to hold on. How does he do it? How is, where's the power and the strength to, to continue holding on the path? Even though he's feeling like, I, I have no sense of love. I have no sense of life. I have no sense of hope. 
I feel abandoned. I feel forsaken. But he's still holding on. He's still on the path. He's still accomplishing the plan. He's still sticking to the script, if you will. Where, how does he do it? Well, you say, well, he's God. And God can do anything. Well, he came as our substitute and he lived the life we should have lived with the resources that are available to us. He lived as a man. Acts chapter 10 and all throughout the Gospel of Luke especially, we can read that Jesus did what he did by the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus is showing us what a spirit-filled life looks like. What a life as a human fully devoted to God is. He did not avail himself of his divine attributes as God, as he lived his life. He depended on God for everything he did. And so we can't, Jesus didn't cheat. He didn't cheat. He didn't say, well, I'm God, so I'm just going to use my power as God to do whatever I want. He lived a human life. So what I want us to see is that as Jesus speaks here, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you abandoned me? He's quoting scripture. Did you know that? He's quoting Psalm 22. I'm going to invite you to turn there because it's so important for us to see. He's quoting Psalms 22, verse 1. Direct quote, Psalms 22, verse 1. My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Now, if you look at the very end of Psalms 22, the very last phrase says he has done it. Now, Derek Kidner and and other um, commentators say another translation for that Hebrew phrase, he has done it, is it is finished. It is done. It is accomplished. It's finished. He's done it. Which should sound familiar because that is another one of the things that Jesus spoke from the cross. From the cross, Jesus quotes the very first phrase of Psalms 22 and the very last phrase of Psalm 22. He quotes the beginning and the end because he has the whole thing in mind. As he is hanging on the cross, when everything doesn't make sense, when he's tempted to lose hope, when, when everything feels like, like, like God is not with me anymore, when he thinks that all is lost, he's meditating, he's reflecting on Scripture. He's pouring the Scripture out over and over and over in his heart. So listen to Psalms 22. I'm going to read just a couple of sections toward, of the first half, of the first section of Psalms 22. My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Why are you so far from my deliverance and my words of groaning? My God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. By night, yet I have no rest. Verse 6. But I'm a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by people. Everyone who sees me mocks me. They sneer and shake their heads. He relies on the Lord. Let him save him. Let the Lord rescue him since he takes pleasure in him. Sound familiar? Verse 12. Many bulls surround me, strong ones of Bashan encircled me. They open their mouths against me, lions mauling and roaring. I'm poured out like water and all my bones are disjointed. My heart is like wax melting within me. My strength is dried up. Like baked clay, my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. 
you put me into the dust of death. For dogs have surrounded me. A gang of evildoers has closed in on me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. People look and stare at me. They divided my garments among themselves and they cast lots for my clothing. Does this sound familiar? This is describing the very execution of Jesus. This is a psalm written by David. David never experienced crucifixion. And this, this is obviously describing an execution. Obviously describing even a crucifixion, though it was not yet invented when David wrote this. They've pierced my hands and my feet. He's describing an execution that this man is, that this, that David is experiencing. David's writing as a prophet, if you haven't catched on, caught on. But let's look down towards the end. Verse 24. For he is not despised or abhorred the torment of the oppressed. He did not, this is God, he did not hide his face from him, but listened when he cried to him for help. I will give praise in the great assembly because of you. I will fulfill my vows before those who fear you. The humble will eat and be satisfied. Those who seek the Lord will praise him. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. All the families of the nations will bow down before you. For kingship belongs to the Lord. He rules the nations. All who prosper on earth will eat and bow down. All those who go down to the dust will kneel before him. Even the ones who cannot preserve his life. Their descendants will serve him. The next generation will be told about the Lord. They will come and declare his righteousness to a people yet to be born. They will declare that he has done it or that it is finished. So this is a psalm. It's describing an execution, even a crucifixion. But it describes that when people remember that execution, they will turn to God in gladness over it. Of who else can it be said that their death has caused people such rejoicing? Millions and millions of people over thousands and thousands of years have come to God rejoicing and through gladness because of the death of Jesus. See, Jesus immersed his whole life in the scripture. Jesus immersed his whole life in the scriptures. He memorized it. He taught it. He says, I've not come to abolish it, but to fulfill it. He quoted it. Jesus, when he was tempted by the devil, does battle with temptation by the scripture. He meditates on it while he is on the cross. See, Jesus is is, is tempted to feel it's all lost. I'm bearing it all. It's all darkness. There's no hope. It's pointless. But the authority for him, the source of his spiritual power was the scripture. And he remembers Psalm 22. So a little time out. The need of the hour. The need of this hour, Cornerstone Community Church. The need of the hour of the coronavirus is for men and women and boys and girls to have their lives immersed in the scripture. To not allow the experience and the circumstances that we have right now, which would tempt us towards fear and despair and uncertainty, 
the need of the hour is to reflect deeply on the Scripture and to allow the Scripture to trump our experience. Pardon the pun. To allow the Scripture to speak into our experience, to interpret our experience, our circumstances. And so know the Scriptures. Read the Scriptures. Memorize the Scriptures. Love the Scriptures. Reflect on the Scriptures. Meditate on them. Base your whole life on them, just like Jesus did. Because He's hanging on the cross. And He's in terrible physical, psychological, and spiritual agony and anguish. And He's meditating on the Scriptures. And and the Scriptures are getting Him through are the source of His power. You see, the overflow of our heart in times of crisis, how we respond in crisis is the overflow of our heart. In some ways, we just don't have time to think because all of our routines are are out the window, right? So uh, so much of, of what we do day to day to day is the result of the habits and rhythms and routines of our lives. And so we... We don't have as many decisions to make. Well, all of those habits and rhythms and routines are out the window right now, and we're having to decide everything and figure out everything, and it's exhausting. And so, so much of how we respond is going to be just be the natural overflow of our heart. What's filling our heart? Well, we need to fill our heart with the Word of God, with the good news of salvation through Jesus. And so I'm saying... Let's dig into the scriptures. A lot of us have a lot more time on our hands. Some of you are confined to your house for the next two weeks. Don't only binge watch three seasons of your favorite show. Don't just consume entertainment and mindless, not mind-numbing entertainment. But let's dig into the scripture. And I want to say, pick a passage of the scripture and memorize it. If you're, if you're together with a family, if you're in your, if a family unit, why not pick a scripture passage and memorize it together to plant it deep in our hearts so we can be like Jesus? You know, when you bang, when you're, when you're hammering and you bang your thumb, the reaction that comes out of your mouth isn't thought through, it's, it's what's in there. So, now, for some of us, that's um, maybe not always sanctified and holy and good. But that's what comes out. It's, it's your impulse of what's filled your heart. And so let's fill our hearts like Jesus did with the Scripture so that in times of crisis, the Scripture is our authority, which is not just like our boss. It's our source of life, our source of power. All right, and we have the Holy Spirit in us who interpreted or who inspired the scripture now to illumine our minds, to, to bring it to bear on our hearts, to empower us to live it out. So let's dig into the scripture together. We've seen his anguish. We've seen his authority. And now I want to see the answer, his answer. Because Psalms 22 gives us the answer to the question. Right? Jesus asks a question. Why? Why have you forsaken me? Why am I being abandoned? Why am I bearing the weight of sin? Why am I experiencing spiritual death and darkness right now? 
Why? And we know the answer. Psalm 22 gives us the answer. You and I know the answer. The New Testament spells out the answer for us. The answer is for me. For you. And so let's all together say it out. Jesus cries out, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? For me. The answer is for me. So that generations to come would would be told about the Lord, would come to the Lord in gladness and be restored in relationship with God. Why is he abandoned? Because you and I are sinful and needed a Savior. So do you feel like God has abandoned you in this moment? You know, when we go through difficult seasons, we go through periods of suffering in our lives, so often we are tempted to think, God, you have left me. You have let me down. I feel abandoned. I feel forsaken by you right now. Jesus didn't abandon you on the cross. He held on. He kept the faith. He kept the plan. He accomplished it all until he could say it's finished. He didn't abandon you on the cross. He was abandoned so that you never will be. He was abandoned so that you and I never will be abandoned. He took hell rather than abandoning you. And so he's not going to abandon you. He was abandoned so that now he can say, I will never leave you. I'll never abandon you. I'll never leave you or forsake you. I'm with you always to the very end of the age. I'm with you. And the veil in the temple is torn from top to bottom. This thick curtain, almost like a wall, that was, that was separating out God's presence the very presence of God from the people on the other side. And God rips it from top to bottom just so we know who did it. So that anyone can go in. You see, in, into the holy of holiest of holy places, only one guy, the most holy guy, the high priest, could go only on one day. The Yom Kippur, on the holiest of days, only the holiest man could go in but once a year into God's presence. And God says... Boom! It's open. The way is open. You can be in the presence of God. Anyone can be in the presence of God now. I don't care if you've camped out on the gates of hell for the last months. You can be in the presence of God. You're welcome to come in. And so who comes in first? A Roman centurion. A hardened mafioso. A man who's killed for a living who doesn't know theology, who doesn't know what's really going on, but the, the beauty of Jesus pierces and he sees what's going on and he says, this is the Son of God. You can go right in to the presence of God. There's mercy for you. There's welcome for you. You may have, you may have abandoned God years ago and not given him the second, a second thought until today. You are welcome in. And he'll, he'll welcome you in. There's mercy for you today. And so in times of suffering, when we say, we love to ask why. Why am I suffering? Why am I sick? Why am I struggling financially? Why, God, why? 
we know the answer isn't that it's because he's abandoned you. The answer can't be that he doesn't love you. Why is the coronavirus crisis happening? Well, it can't be that he doesn't love us. It can't be that he's left us. It's can't, it can't be because he's abandoned us because he took hell rather than to abandon us. And he's promised now, I will never leave you. I'll never abandon you. So what's the answer to the question? My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? I'm the answer. You're the answer. So that now God can look at you and say, I'm never going to leave you. I'll never forsake you. You and I will never be banished from God's presence if we'll come to Jesus. So would you pray with me now? So our Father in heaven, we take up this invitation to come into your presence, even right now. Knowing that, Jesus, you were abandoned so that we never would be. And we receive, by grace, this invitation to come into your presence. That the veil's torn. There's no barrier now. Nothing is holding us back from you. We're welcome. We can come right in. We can, we can know your love. And we can know your presence even right now in our homes. So fill us with your presence, Lord. We come to you. And we simply say, we know that we're the answer to the question. We know, Jesus, that you were forsaken so that we could be welcomed in. That you were forsaken, that you were condemned, so that we could be declared innocent and righteous and in your presence forevermore. And so, Jesus, we turn this back towards you and say, wow, that's amazing. Your salvation, your love is amazing. We worship you. We praise your name. We say, holy are you, God Almighty. Holy, holy are you. We say, here's our life. Use us. Send us. So that others could know about how great Jesus' love for us is. And it's in Jesus' great name I pray. Amen. Well, I want to invite you to join with us in taking a posture of worship. Um, so I want to invite you to.